0: Hello, I'm Emma Rice, the Artistic Director of Wise Children, and you're listening to Wise Children's Lockdown. Our lockdown project is about us finding ways of staying close to each other. On this show, I call up an old friend, play some records, and most importantly, get to chat and reminisce. Come and join us for Tea and Biscuits. Hello and welcome to Wise Children's Lockdown Tea and Biscuits. And today I'm talking with Simon Baker. (laughs) Look, we're already laughing because... (laughs) (laughs) So let me paint the scene here. So um, Simon has been um, producing all of our digital work and all of our tea and biscuits and is not only my um, colleague and sound designer of choice and uh does all wise children's digital work but he's also my life partner so we are actually in lockdown together so this tea and biscuits is happening in person and we're sat opposite each other and he is really uncomfortable about actually (laughs) speaking instead of being in the back room so hello simon how are you doing
1: i'm doing all right i'm I'm doing this is weird though isn't it
0: it is a little bit yeah it
1: is a bit odd i'm also feeling a bit we, we set up an entire concept which relied on us having tea and biscuits and neither of us have actually thought so actually get tea or biscuits. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, but I'm still going to ask you the same questions I ask everybody else, which which is your virtual or real biscuit of choice?
1: Well, my, my, my virtual, and I'm thinking I might go and get one, would be a penguin.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be such a long interview because you are the biscuit connoisseur because I also notice an awful lot of chocolate hobnobs being consumed at the moment.
1: Well... Yes. I have to say though, Reece, our my son, does tend to screw them away, so you has to be quite quick to get them. I do like a chocolate biscuit, that's true. I like a biscuit in general, <laughs> but I really fancy a penguin, because this is quite stressful, and I thought that would calm me down. Why is it stressful? Um, it's. I suppose it's... I'm so used to um, manipulating these somewhere in the background for everybody else, that the thought of... of well, firstly, it's odd talking to you in this way, isn't it? That's slightly odd, because we talk all the time. Um, and then it's slightly odd to think I've got to sit down and edit myself. That's what's stressing me out a little bit, thinking, well, I'm going to have to make something out of this gibberish. I know, I'll end up just cutting me. Well, It'll just be that. you talking to nobody.
0: <laughs> well, we've had enough of that in life, haven't we? So <laughs> it's time to hear you. The reason I'm making you doing this is because it, you are such a big part of the story, a huge part of the story, that it would be wrong to cut you out of it so however odd it is i i want to hear i want to hear some of the stories and we need to hear your voice because you've been a massive part of the story for over 12 years now so this is why i'm making you <laughs> sit opposite <laughs> me without a cup of tea and talk um let's start with your first piece of music and why you've chosen it
1: well we're going to play lesson three from double dean Steinsky which is um, an old 1985, old hip hop, old school hip hop cut and paste record, um, which has been a massive, all three of the records, Lessons 1, 2 and 3 have been a huge influence on me and my work. And I never really joined all the dots until I started talking about my process and how sound comes together and what I do and what my job is. And it was only then that I started to realise how influential this particular piece of music have been. Should I play it?
0: Go on, play it.
1: I'm gonna play it. We're gonna do a song
2: that you never heard before. The torch has been passed to a new generation of Americans.
3: Lesson three. This record to bring you a special bulletin. The reports of a flying saucer hovering over the city have been confirmed.
2: the watch ladies and gentlemen.
3: You don't have to say anything and you don't have to do anything. Oh maybe just whistle. You know how to whistle.
1: I dance with you till the cows come home. On second thought, I'd rather dance with the cows till you come home. Hey, children, what does it all mean?
0: It's super cool, but tell me how it influences your process. Spell it out for us. Well,
1: it, it, the danger of this being a long answer. So, I was born in '72 and grew up in Feltham. So, my teenage years were around the mid '80s. Me and my friends, uh, we were very much into hip-hop records um, and the whole thing we were into the look of it we we're into the sound of it we we're into the art of it. Um, it it somehow I don't know what it is there's no real link between Feltham in 1985 and the Bronx in 1985 the Bronx was sort of facing huge fired-out condominiums and rising rents and all kinds of trouble and Feltham was just a sort of slightly poor area in West London so there wasn't, we didn't have much in common with them, but for some reason the music resonated, the movement resonated, and it's probably a bit like belonging to a club. You think you want to find a tribe, and that was the tribe I belonged to. Um, and I loved it. And I loved it because it's it, it sort of, there's quite a lot of correlation between hip-hop and punk in that it's very much a do-it-yourself musical form. Um, I didn't play an instrument. I didn't really particularly think I was musical either, but I did have an ability. I've re- I've always understood rhythm quite well, and I did have the ability to take and deconstruct other people's records and glue them back together again. And at the time, uh, the method of doing that in hip hop was using turntables, which I had. I sort of used to collect all kinds of junk audio equipment from car boot sales then. Um, and that would be record players or quarter-inch tape decks which a lot of people were chucking out in that period they'd become very unfashionable but of course quarter-inch tape is very very easy to edit very cheap to edit and i me and my friend rob spate we collected this stuff and we had rooms full of it my my bedroom at home was full of old loudspeakers and old record decks and old tape machines and we built echo machines we built all kinds of effects units um and i could I would spend ages recording records off the radio or songs off the radio or buying records or getting records from record libraries and um putting them back together in different orders the craft you learn in that was part of how i now construct sound effects for theater shows in that there's there's something uh very similar about taking one thing pulling it apart and then putting it back together to tell a slightly different story or a new story when i heard um, the lessons on the radio I realized that I wasn't alone it was a sort of revelation really I thought wow somebody else is doing this and it sounds great and they're using all the bits of music I love and they've got all the kind of ideas um, they, they've got bits of cartoon there's bits of TV adverts there's old films um, and for me it was uh, a moment of thinking oh well I'm sort of not alone you know in this whole universe there's these guys in america that that do this and they do it infinitely better than i can but it was a sort of real inspiration the only way you could hear the kind of music i was into was by listening either to radio london um, which was a sort of watered down version of soul music or you listen to pirate radio and these records are played on pirate radio a lot particularly by a dj called tim westwood who hosted a show on my beloved lwr which was the radio station which was who I sort of aspired to be part of when I was a kid growing up um, and there, were, there was another UK group called Cold Cup who um, equally released lots of these sort of cut and paste records and they were sort of hugely influential on uh, both kind of what I did in my free time and what I wanted to do I didn't know what I wanted to do but I knew it was going to involve sound and the creation of sound that's a very long answer to why I played Lesson 3, Double <laughs> Dean
0: It's fascinating though, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> no, please don't. It's really interesting. And I certainly see how that's influenced your work because when I first met you, I, I honestly don't think I either knew what a sound designer was or certainly thought I needed it or wanted it. It was something that was uh, being a little bit imposed on me by the industry, I think. I just thought it was putting mics against musical and instruments. So I've learned so much from you which we'll talk about later but what I noticed from listening to the lessons and knowing you is right from the beginning you would do a lesson you'd call it a lesson um about the show that we were going to work on and you you're used as a director to a designer giving you a scrapbook or showing you references but you would give me sound references and you would put together a sort of an aural scrapbook which was so thrilling and so exciting and so creative it was not about whether you could hear the keyboard over the double bass or whether there was fold back in the speakers. It was really about what is the sound of this world and what is the sound of the story and I watch you now over the years making sure that that sound is different for every show you do and I think the lessons is absolutely at the heart of that so before you start speaking again I'm going to play one of my records which is which relates a little bit um it's actually the piece of music you mixed for the end of our show The Umbrellas of Cherbourg and it's a phenomenal mix and the listeners will hear how you use sounds in a way that Tells story and layers things in just like the lessons.
3: Would you like to see her?
4: I think you had better go. Yes, I'm fine.
0: end of the umbrellas of Cherbourg Carly Borden on vocals Andrew Durand singing and the company I loved that show and that's the most <laughs> phenomenal mix and it was really exciting to go from um, the, the, the live singers into this big big epic filmic world and I thought it was so clever it was your way of spanning the live theatre experience to the film um, mm. sort of referencing the, the film source
1: but it was. we wanted to get it... I remember at the time we wanted to um, get back to modern-day London. Do you remember the the idea was is that we'd fly... We'd open the dock door and we'd watch Meow walk off into Brewer Street at the back of Soho, and that was...
0: Yeah,
1: I did want that, didn't I? We did want that. Well, we sort of did it. I mean, we shot it with We Mark, did it with
0: film in the end, didn't yeah, we? with, with Mark with,
1: Jenkin, with yeah. With Mark Jenkin. And it was... And I sort of... I, I, we talked about it a lot when we were first thinking about doing umbrellas, and I, I was never really sure... I, to be honest, I never thought we'd get away with it. I thought the sort of rights holders, I thought everybody would be against us doing that to the end of Umbrella's as a Sherbrooke. And then we did it on preview one and sort of got away with it. And I thought, well, that was lucky and then it just kind of stayed. I mean, we, we well, worked on it. Well, we
0: didn't get away with it with the show because it closed very very swiftly. There is that. We did get away with it artistically. And do yeah. you remember all the musicians put their coats on yeah. and put their umbrellas up so everybody left the stage leaving us it was really it was, wonderful and it
1: snowed. And it snowed. Yeah. I mean it was it was magic and I, I I was it's one of the things I'm most proud of in my sort of work I think is that show. Um and I loved it in the end and thanks for the opportunity to do it because it was a great thing to do and I um it's one of the few times where sound designers generally particularly in the UK don't um there are we are a funny bunch we don't um obviously I get to meet lots and lots of directors I don't meet or work with that many sound designers because why would I we're you know there's one sound designer on a project um but Ben and Max Ringham texted me after watching Umbrella's of Cherbourg. So excited that they'd heard Les McCann's sample from <laughs> Massive Attack in the middle of what should have been a sort of funny old French musical. And I was so excited. I thought, oh, that's good. That's nice. Some colleagues. And, I, and Ben and Max have always been really kind. But it was great to get a text from somebody else in the industry going, nice. <laughs>
0: Let's scoot forward a little bit. So we met on the show Brief Encounter, you did a phenomenal job on that, but let's scoot forward a little bit because we became um, very close colleagues and I began to understand sound and really value what it brought to the work and the ensemble and your, what you brought as a creative to the, the whole process. So when I got the job at the Globe, you and your team, um, came with me and we
3: <laughs>
0: we installed a sound rig in yeah. the globe um, tell me a little bit about that I know there's a lot to say but tell me a little bit about
1: that well the technology of it um, it was an, it was a really interesting job because we if you ignore any um, political conversation about our time at the globe and just look at it as a technical exercise which is what which is what we did, which is, as, as theater makers, we went into a space and thought, how can, what can we bring to this, to tell these stories? And we knew, I knew the kind of work you were gonna wanna do. We sort of knew what that first show was gonna need to make it work. So then you're just looking at a technical challenge in a, in a, in a tricky building. Um, and we thought, how do we, uh, and I say we, because I, mu- I very much had a team around me at that point. I had Jay Jones. Charlie Simpson, um, lots of great people that are still part of our world now. And we thought well, it's a crazy project, but how do you do it? And we sat in that space for a long time and thought one of the difficulties is, is London's noisy. How do we, how do we get over London noise? How do we deal with that? How do we deal with the fact that everybody has a different um, relationship to the stage? Um, visually but also what they can hear everybody's a different distance from the stage so just putting a radio microphone on actor was clearly never going to work because uh, through a loudspeaker somewhere because everybody's um how everybody was going to hear that was going to be different so we, it, it was a really difficult technical challenge and then you you've got the challenge of working in a building which is sort of half outside sort of inside um clearly not constructed with modern technology in mind all of those Things. That's not quite true, though. Well, that, no, you're right. That isn't true, actually. Sam
0: Wanamaker and the original architects designed it with the thought that technology would be put yeah. in at some point. So it was that was one of the many surprises of the building.
1: It, that was one of the things we came to learn about the building. I think at the time, because we were battling with a lot of... Um, we, we were battling with an infrastructure which just sort of didn't want technology there. So we were battling on lots of different grounds. Um, but you're right, there was. The original architects had put in ways where you could get cable from one part of the building to another or and there was access through seating blocks and there was there was actually a surprising amount once we started digging into it
0: well there was a lot of technology there we, we mustn't get go well, down the, the plug, um, plug hole but um you did a phenomenal job which i think is what you do always mm. um, so what i've learned from you is is my love of radio mics now the reason i love radio mics as an artist is because it allows such subtlety of performance you can allow your actors to not just shout their way through a show they can they still perform like stage actors so you get all that muscularity of the voice but they can also really bring it into an intimate love story and that was certainly what I learnt on um, Brief Encounter and never wanted to go back but what you do that's amazing is because you are so detailed in the technology of your rigs that people often don't even know that it's amplified because you measure every distance from every mic to every speaker there's lots of speakers um so whilst people knew that the big numbers were amplified at the globe you'd often get people saying oh but you can hear the text and without realizing <laughs> that you were gently sort of tickling the sound yeah. so that you could get the subtlety of performance but but land it in the audience's ears without all the as as you said the sound of the london sky messing with it yeah
1: that was the that was the big thing we felt um, we could bring to it was, um, and the, the great thing, the moment you put a radio mic on somebody, you can uh, take much more liberty with the dynamic range of a show. And so if anybody doesn't really understand what that concept is, you can make the quieter bits, you make slightly louder, and you can make the louder bits a lot louder. So you've, you've expanded that, the, the difference between very quiet and very loud. Um, and that's very exciting so that does mean that somewhere like The Globe you can play a tiny quiet scene um, delicate intimate scene but then you can still explode with huge great big curtain call should you need to or want to which we often did
0: and of course by this point I'm completely addicted as a director to underscoring to yeah. the, the, what, what music does and I didn't want to go to the Globe and not have that I didn't want to be able to tell the s- stories in a, in a lesser way than I told them before.
1: It felt like that was going to be a, not a backward step but a, a, a different step mm. so it felt I felt our responsibility um, was to be able to deliver an MRI show and also what an audience coming to see an MRI show were going to expect. Mm. I mean that was the big thing. People were used to seeing you your shows, that would have been their experience. And to to have gone to the globe and not deliver that experience would have felt wrong to me. That wouldn't have been we should we that was part of what we did. That was why we turned up to do it.
0: So let's fast forward. Everybody knows what happened. But tell me about your next um choice and why, because there's quite a few reasons why you've chosen this record.
1: When we turned up at the Globe were uh, they used to have this sort of legendary um, parties They were They were very very good At celebrating um, They'd have an end of season There'd be the opening Of the season There'd be the End of the summer season The end of the winter season They were very very good At having these parties And they were massive And they'd had some huge Big name DJs That played there The year before we turned up I think we might have Even gone to it I think we turned up For a sort of ten to say hello to people But I think Norman Jay Was playing there And Yoda had been playing there um, They'd have Mr Scruff Play there So when you you decided to do the party for the end of season one um you asked if me and jay would do it <laughs> knowing our dubious past history and that was a bit of a challenge because um we thought blimey there's been some proper people play here this crowd are going to be used to a certain level of expertise and i hadn't played a record in public since about the mid-90s and i think Jay almost got chucked out of guildhall for playing records so it was It was was a challenge. The other difficult thing was, um, at the time, I knew, because obviously we're together, that our time at the Globe was up. That was the thing we knew, and nobody else knew.
0: Yeah, the board had made their decision, but we hadn't made it it public.
1: It was very, very new. I I don't think anybody really... I think you and I knew, and probably that was about it, really, Mm -hmm. the board... The, the staff at the Globe certainly didn't know. No. Which meant that Jay, who's a close, dear friend and colleague, my associate, didn't know. So I turned up to do this party, and it all suddenly felt really weird. Um, and I couldn't tell Jay, and I was very upset. Um, and, and also nervous, because we were going to have to do this great big event. And I sort of, <laughs> at that point just wanted to go home. I didn't want to be at the Globe. I was like, oh God, this is going to be a disaster. And anyway, we decided, Jay said, I don't know what's the matter with you today. Anyway, we're going to go and do this. And I said, all right, let's do it. So we did. And I decided halfway through that it would be fun to play Another Brick in the Wall by Pink Floyd. And it was actually slightly premeditated because of course you can't, in the middle of a big epic after show set you can't just play a bit of Pink Floyd so we'd actually remixed it, it had been remixed years before by somebody and we did a, I, I'd done a slightly different version of it and pulled it apart a bit and made it sit at the right tempo and Jay looked at me and said well, why on earth would you play this and I said I just think it's got, there's just something about the chorus that I think will really land and I think it will get a laugh out of Emma and which I... is a
0: good reason to do anything
1: I think <laughs> and um, sure enough it, it did work and we did get a little cheeky smile out of you from the dance floor <laughs> in the middle of the globe
0: um play it <laughs> <laughs> I notice that you played that on vinyl. It's actually a seven-inch single.
1: It Tell is Miss Rice. Well, the other reason it's important, other than playing it to annoy the globe and make Emma smile, was it's the first record ever bought. And not only is it that that is literally the, the, the copy. That is it. That's the first record ever bought on vinyl, on seven-inch. Um... I I've no, I can't remember, I've got no recollection of what year it came out. I know I bought it in Smith's because the sleeves are around here somewhere it's got <laughs> the price tag on. It, it was it was ninety nine P.
0: My first record was Hit Me with Your Rhythm Stick in Drury.
1: Also cool. I mean I've I have embellished that The first record ever bought for me was Remember You're a Womble by the Wombles. A classic from Mike Bat. But and I saw a toy we're playing that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm pleased you didn't. We don't need no education. It's a, it's a landmark moment for me. And the two parties that you and Jay DJ'd are close to my heart. And the, in one of the first reviews that we got at The Globe, somebody described, said Emma Rice has installed a six-form disco. So you and Jay, your um, DJing outfit is called six-form disco in honour of that. Amazing times, though, I si. I feel, you know, obviously... There's so much I regret. And you've lived through every moment with Mm. me. So we don't need to go over that, but I'm so proud of what we did. And I will remember those parties. I remember dancing on the final um, end of season party on Mm -hmm. the tables. Just, um, anyway, just amazing. And thank you. Which brings me on to my choice. Mm -hmm. I am going to play dominoes. Now this song you introduced me to and I feel this is a good example of how you in our personal life have changed my taste in music or expanded my taste so I was my dad brought me up to be a real jazz lover always loved jazz always loved the blues as a teenager I was kind of your indie rocker so King Kurt Bauhaus I know look he's making a face at me but that was That was my world. And I wasn't really into disco or soul. And Mm. that is what you have brought to my life. The rhythms, the beats, the culture of it. And you surround me with music. And you've um, just awakened a love of all sorts of genres that I didn't really have. And this song I love because... It's just a fantastic track, but I think the sentiment, which is we're going to stand our problems all in a row and knock them down like dominoes, is what you've done ever since I've met you. You've helped me through problems in work and in life, and this sums
1: you up.
2: A oh, pretty baby, dry your eyes, don't you know it can't be that bad? How it hurts, a pretty baby, when I see you sitting there, so sad do need to worry about tomorrow. And yesterday day is gone. So raise the chin up, girl, and we will work our problems out one by one. Hold me tight. Hold me tight. Don't let go. Turn me loose. Never know, no, no. We'll send our problems all in a row. Watch them fall like dominoes. Fall like dominoes.
0: It. Tell me about your next track and why you've chosen it. I was surprised when I saw this on the list. Were you? Yeah. But well, I... Didn't feel 100% you, if that makes sense.
1: Well, it, it isn't 100% me. And it's... But obviously you know me better than anybody else, really. And you're right. It's not. But it's... I was thinking of... Um, We are surrounded by music, you and I are surrounded there's always music and we're always listening to music, we're always researching bits of music. I spend my entire time playing records when I'm not um, making people louder. (laughs) And- I can verify that. (laughs) uh, But I was trying to think of something which, I was trying to think of things that have influenced me or things that that are related to us, um, particularly professionally. And um, the, next, the next thing I'm going to play is, I should just say, it's Massive Attacks Teardrop. And uh, it's important for lots of reasons. I feel it's where musically we meet in a strange way. I think um, I, having grown up in London and obviously listened to a very particular soundtrack uh, during that period, um, and obviously that's influenced everything I... You know, whether it personally what I listen to when I'm dri- when I'm driving or when I'm just playing records because I want to, or um, what happened... You know, the, the, the sort of way I hear rhythm when I'm working or when I'm making a sound effect or something. Um, but then when I turned up at knee-high, there was... And we were, started working on... You're remounting the red shoes. And there was a sort of an excitement in me, really, that there was a theatre company... Um, that was sampling a Jurassic Five album, and I thought, well, that's not happening for. And a lot of that, obviously, was Stu Barker. But I think a lot of those influences, that Bristol slightly more lo-fi drum beat, which I knew, you know, I, I you know, I. But coming from London, it was a slightly cleaner, different sound. And there are. Uh, Massive Attack were born out of a sound system, Bristol sound system called the Wild Bunch, and their equivalent in London were, were a tribe I followed, which were called Soul to Soul. They're a big sound system. I went and watched them at Carnival. Um, they were great. And the, so the, the Bristol version, of course, Massive at- um, Wild Bunch became Massive Attack, and they had a very unique sound, a sound which I wasn't particularly into, but I feel it's where our musical tastes sort of collided and I was so excited that there was a theatre company that sort of embraced that feel as well. Um, And geographically Bristol became a huge part of our life. We, when we first met, you were in Cornwall and I was in London and we were very much, there was an awful lot of driving going on, it was a tricky time and Bristol very much, well we literally did at one point, we looked at a map and went where's between and bristol suddenly was the answer and so i think this track for me represents
0: and we moved there and we moved there yeah
1: um so this for me represented me and you sort of i suppose a little bit i don't even think this is a track you particularly know or like but it's somehow. It <laughs> <laughs> but it has all those elements because it's Elizabeth Fraser, of course, was singing cocktail twins and
4: massive fan. Massive fan. <laughs>
1: um, but it, for me, it's where we. It's sort of where we, everything's
4: the two rivers. Everything made. met.
1: Yeah,
0: <laughs> the Baker Rice rivers. Play it. <laughs> Sound of Bristol
1: it really is it's also and of course it is it's sometimes I cry as the sample from Les McCann, which is the sample we use in as a Cherbourg it's that groove it's that swirling, it's so from. it's a brilliant record
0: and Bristol even though we don't live there anymore um, Bristol remains at the heart of our lives because it's where Wise Children is based yeah um, so before we finish let's talk a bit about Wise Children because you've been as I say my sound designer um, and my partner and of really um, embedded yourself in all of the stories that have happened over the last decade and more and you were a big huge part in the conception of Wise Children and putting that bid together and getting the Arts Council bid you've been by my side through all of that so when Wise Children started it felt that it was time to formally recognise that. And you're now the technical director at Wise Children. So you're bringing your expertise into all areas of the work and doing all this amazing digital output, including, can I say, creating a radio station, which, whilst (laughs) amazing, is that fulfilling your... What did you say? Third year GCSE fantasy?
1: Yeah, I think so.
0: Back to pirate radio.
1: Back to pirate radio. It was, yeah, funnily enough, my co conspiracy in pirate radio rob was on the phone the other day and we were reminiscing about the last time i think the last time we actually properly hung out together we were running across and down fields holding a pirate radio transmitter thinking we were being chased <laughs>
0: <laughs> some things don't change
1: nothing changes
0: so before i play the last bit of music and say why can i just say thank you simon put it on the record to say thank you Um, I want to thank you for your intellect, your unbelievable work ethic, which sometimes drives me insane because you never stop, but is really amazing. Your commitment, your fierce loyalty and your love of the work and of me. So thank you. And I want to play as our final track today take care of business nina simone a remix which you gave me once i love with all my heart and soul <laughs> i feel you do you know i run a company i've run the shakespeare's globe i run knee high i work at a really high level but you take care of me and i thank you for that and i love dancing in our kitchen to this so thank you simon baker memory or connection you'd like to share on Tea and Biscuits, leave us a message on our phone line 0117 318 3846. That's 0117 318 3846. Keep checking our social media for details of our next show. Tea and Biscuits is part of Wise Children's Lockdown. Thanks for hanging out with us. Bye.